Hello and welcome back to another episode of You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we've got Kirsten on who is an astrophysicist. Hello. Hello, thanks for having me. Our pleasure, how are you? I'm doing pretty well, it's quite hot in Australia at the moment but uh, doing okay. Very jealous, it's about 10 degrees here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So do you want to tell everyone a little bit about what you actually do? Yes, so I am a first year PhD student in astrophysics. I am studying something called galactic archaeology, which sounds super cool. I am still very much amazed that I'm in this field. That is because very basically, cool. yeah, it's like being Indiana Jones, but in space. <laughs> that is wicked. So right? what, does, what does that involve? So basically what I'm doing in my particular project is I am studying some particular stars of the Milky Way galaxy called red clump stars. And these particular stars are good to use for galactic archaeology because they're kind of like a standard candle. They're all pretty much the same brightness, the same temperature. Everything is basically the same. So we can use these stars to accurately map the Milky Way galaxy in three dimensions. So I'm observing these stars, trying to figure out more about the history and formation and evolution of our island universe that is the Milky Way galaxy. Well, well, that already blows my mind so that's very cool <laughs> so where did um a love for stars come from how old were you what sort of first got you interested in this so i was very much interested in learning and excited about learning from a very young age so the starting age for uh kindergarten in australia is around four turning five but sometimes i do admit students who are three turning four so when i was three years old i said to my parents i want to go to school my mum said, oh, maybe you want to wait a year, you're a bit young. And dad's like, no, let's just let her do what she wants to do. So I went to school early at three years old, turning four. And in primary school, I wanted to be a meteorologist. So I wanted to study the clouds and the weather because that really fascinated me. So I definitely always had an interest in the sky. But then it wasn't until year, t- year nine or year 10, I was about 15 years old, and my science teachers took my entire year group out on an excursion to go see a documentary about the Hubble Space Telescope. And that is what hooked me. Very cool. So you, you had this love and this passion. Did you start tailoring your education towards going into physics? Yes, definitely. So in year 11, we have to start choosing the subjects we want to finish our HSC with, so our higher school certificate. And I went straight for the physics, the extension maths, a few other things as well. I was interested in music as well. And I did a bit of geography too, just to mix it up a little bit, but definitely was focused on that physics and math side of my education from when I needed to start thinking about my career. And that, what, did you do any um, stargazing at home? Did you start to learn about the uh, about the stars from uh, on your on yourself? Not so much, really, that I remember. I definitely was interested in physics and the problem solving and the challenges that came with problem solving. That was very fun and very intriguing for me when I was going through my education. But once I started to get into university, I, it's very funny, actually, I was asked on a date by one of my primary school friends who I had recently caught up with in first year. We walked past each other in the hallway and was like, oh, haven't seen you since primary school. It's like six years ago. Let's catch up. And he ended up asking me on a date and took me to Sydney Observatory. So pretty good place to go to. Yeah, Yeah, pretty cool date. I didn't work out. Wasn't the right guy, but I got a (laughs) job out of it at the observatory. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So I started working at Sydney Observatory and that is really where my love for 
the sky, the universe, and sharing my passion for the universe flourished. Because before then, I was absolutely terrified of public speaking. So that was a great job to go into. So what, what, being what terrified of public speaking. Was that just <laughs> so like a tall I was, Yeah, basically, I was. Uh, they called us astronomy educators. Okay. Just to be a bit more, a bit more technical. So we took groups of about twenty people around the observatory. We would go to the telescopes, pointed at stars, planets, the moon, and inspired people about the universe. We even had a little planetarium. It's nothing like big planetariums. It was this teeny tiny planetarium in a small room that used to be a bedroom in the observatory. Uh, but it's a very intimate uh, planetarium. So it was great having all of that, all of those, uh, all that technology to share my passion for the universe and show people what a real night sky looks like without the light pollution of Sydney. So is that what drove your passion for uh, science communication, that sort of taster starting there? Oh, absolutely. Once I started sharing my passion for astronomy through that job, I just fell in love with sharing it more and more to more people around Sydney, more people around the world. I joined Twitter and started doing stuff on there too. That is really is where it all, all started. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you're, what you're doing at university and um, sort of like your average day there at the moment? And obviously COVID is probably putting a spanner in the works for a normal university life. But Definitely. It's a bit, bit different these days. But luckily, what, with what I do in my PhD is I can do it from basically anywhere as long as I have my laptop. So whether that's at my desk at home right now or at a desk at the university or even from my bedroom, I can do my research just on my laptop because most of it is just done through programming and understanding what our data is like, data visualization. So that can all be done just from my laptop. It's really convenient. Um, for your PhD, are you doing um, sort of one large thesis or are you doing like uh, a PhD through publication? What sort of style of PhD is it you're, you're working on? Definitely still working that out. Uh, definitely, I, I think at this point, it will be a large thesis but also with publications as well as I go along. So what kind of uh, jobs can you go into once you've completed your thesis? So completing my thesis, I can go into academia uh, as a more employed role. So I can be a postdoc at, at different universities. I can, can stay at the university I'm at right now, I, or I can travel around Australia, travel around the world as well. So there's lots of opportunities through that. But the one thing that I really want to do is to become a lot more well-known in my science communication so I can travel the world and share my passion for astronomy with everyone around the world who wants to listen. That's the dream, isn't it, really, for, for people that love science to, to spread that knowledge. And, uh, because I think most young people, um, when they first start, like you said, when you were going to school, have a real love for, for science and space and things. And I think a lot of people lose that as they go through education, sadly. Yeah, it definitely does happen because uh, take my example with chemistry. I was intrigued by chemistry in year 10 and year 11. But as soon as I got to the end of year 11, I hated chemistry because my teacher wasn't passionate about it. Mm. And it was really difficult to enjoy it when the person teaching it to you didn't enjoy it either or didn't seem to enjoy it as much as they should as a teacher. Yeah, I yeah, I 100% agree mm. with that. I think that's what happens. But mm. 
so you mentioned data um, earlier. Is that a mm-hmm. big part of, of going into the astrophysics fields? Is there a lot of data analytics? Oh, yes. Astronomy is the epitome of big data. We've got so much data out there. For example, one of the teams that I'm a part of, the Galar team, we have spectra for half a million stars. So spectra is the the rainbow of light that a star emits. So we can see what these stars are made of, uh, understand more about how old they are, what what stage of their lifespan that they're in. So we have this data for half a million stars. That's a lot of data. So what are you hoping to uh, shed more light on through what you're doing? First of all, I love the pun. (laughs) Oh, that actually was unintentional, but I'll take that. (laughs) (laughs) Always must appreciate a pun, whether it's intentional or not. (laughs) So the thing that I want to shed some light on is basically the big goal of my PhD and my particular research is to create a three-dimensional map of the Milky Way galaxy and map out where different chemicals are more abundant compared to others. So let's say, let's say there's more carbon in our region of the galaxy, or there's more nitrogen somewhere over to the left-hand side or whatever you define as the left-hand side is here. Yeah. So we're just trying to figure out what is happening on a specific scale within our own galaxy to then expand that knowledge to other galaxies. Because one of the biggest problems or biggest questions in galactic astrophysics is what what is this process of galactic evolution? And there are, it's a catch-22 here. While we have lots of data points in the sense that there are about two trillion galaxies in the entire universe. Two trillion. So pr- pretty good sample size there. Wow. Uh, however, they're all very, very far away. Mm. So they're not easy to look at with a lot of detail, at least not on this large scale. However, there is a good thing. We live inside a galaxy. So that's where our Milky Way galaxy is kind of like our Rosetta Stone that helps us understand more about the big picture. And what would you say uh, some of the personality traits are for good astrophysicists? Definitely being able to stay up late, which I struggle (laughs) with sometimes. So just the other week I was spending, uh, it was supposed to be an eight night observing run, but it turned into 10 nights. But this basically means that I'm working from 4 p.m. in the afternoon till about 6 a.m. in the morning wow. when it's nighttime. It's, <laughs> it's a lot. I, I, did, I put out a little compilation video on my TikTok and on my Twitter of just my reactions at the end of each subsequent night throughout the 10 <laughs> nights. And oh boy, is it a roller coaster. First night, I'm like, oh, this is great. I feel tired, but you know, I, we just had a great night. Fantastic. Second night, I was absolutely ruined. By the fourth night, I was in tears. It was, it's a lot. <laughs> so the, the jobs that you can use your, once you get your, uh, your thesis done, that you can <laughs> use this in, um, they vary. So you can go to an astronomy, uh, what's the word? I'm looking, observatory, that's the word. That's and the word. You, you can start uh, building these data sets and then you go away and analyze them. But what are some different jobs in the field that you can go into? Really, you can go into any job. So the great thing about being even just a physics graduate is we're very employable to a lot of different uh, fields. So uh, one example that I really love to use, uh, I am a bit biased by it, but my partner, he did the exact same degree that I did with a few different little changes here because he was a few years ahead of me. But he's also a physics graduate and he works in the music industry. 
Okay, cool. Yeah. Weird, right? Mm, but yeah. it's it's those skills that we learn, those critical thinking skills that we are trained in and learn in our degree that allow us to apply this. And the data an analysis, we can apply that to big Absolutely. businesses, anywhere, really. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think that's one of the best things about STEM um, subjects is, is that they are so flexible in where you can go and you can take those skills and apply them to so many other places. Exactly. So do you, do you look at um, companies like Elon Musk's company and Jeff Bezos' company? What do you think about them and, and the future of like space exploration and applying your skill sets? I think the teams of people that work in these particular companies are doing such a great job at revolutionizing the space industry. Like look at how uh, space flight has changed over just the last 10 years it has mm. been completely revolutionized by the team of people at SpaceX. And it's incredible to see just that teamwork pushing us forward. Personally, the uh, leaders of these companies are a bit, you know, they're not, they're not the best people in the world, but <laughs> no one is, of course. I have my opinions about both of them. But as a whole, they're doing great things. And mm. it's great to see. What's the, uh, what's the most exciting thing you think is going to come out of, of space and, and science in the next 10, 20 years? Oh, the next 10, 20 years. One thing I would hope to see, I would love to see this, is us to discover what the heck is dark matter. That's yes, the one thing I want to cool. see. That would be very cool. I'm very intrigued by it. Uh, it's, it's very elusive. Like, we know Do it's there. We can see or quote unquote see that it's there by indirect methods and direct methods as well. But what is it made of? I don't know. We just, I want to find this out. How much, uh, of, but in the, terms of, how much of the galaxies does it make up or the universe? It makes up something like 70%. Is that right? Or more than that? Dark matter is about mid 20%. Oh, and wow. then dark energy is that other big chunk. But the main, this, the stuff you can actually see in space, the sparkly stuff, which includes you and, my, and you and I, that's about 5% of the entire universe. Oh my God. So there's so much more out there that we have no idea about. Oh yeah. And that is so exciting to me. That's that, that one thing there, and then apply that to many other questions that haven't been answered in astronomy yet is I will always have a job because there's always more to learn and always more to uncover so yay job security yeah very true do you think with this new sort of like commercial space race that's going on um you're seeing an impact in your fields that's sort of related um having a slight boost definitely i mean our our field has been constantly growing and growing over the past couple of decades i know it may seem like it's going slower these days because it's the the amount of new knowledge that we're uncovering is incremental and it is small steps to continue to get to those big, big problems and big answers like dark matter. But it's great to see that we're just continually pushing the boundaries of knowledge. Definitely. And what are some of the biggest uh, positives you think of working within the industry? I'm going to take a personal positive here and that it just it feeds my soul. <laughs> no that's fair I just, enough exactly i just love it so much that i could be having the worst day ever but i can go outside do some stargazing and feel all those problems just melt away that's no, very cool. certainly and what about some of the negatives um that you've found with the industry 
The negatives, it is very challenging, but the, what's the word I'm looking for? The, the happiness and relief you get when you solve a problem is just so overwhelmingly awesome. Mm. But also trying to stay up late at night is difficult too. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what are some of the biggest opportunities you've had out of this so far? Obviously your TikToks and uh, your science communications getting bigger and bigger, like your Twitter profile's got quite a following now. So uh, there's some, some opportunities you've really enjoyed doing that? Definitely. I think my biggest... My biggest thing that I've, I'm really proud of and really excited by, I still have to pinch myself to remind myself, yes, you did this, is uh, I was on national Australian television next to my career idol, Brian Cox. No way. Just, That's so cool. Yeah, it was just an arms like the way I'm like, it's, it's bright. For the first 20 minutes of this program, whenever I picked up my glass, my hand was just shaking. I was like, oh my God, Brian. This to me. <laughs> and what were you doing um, for that television interview? So that was uh, ABC's Q&A and it was a science themed episode. So we had myself, Brian, uh, Professor Emma Johnson, who's the Dean of Science at my university. We also had uh, a climate scientist, uh, two, a climate scientist and an exoplanet uh, astrobiologist as well. So we had all of us just sitting on this panel talking about things like climate change, why we see different stars in the night sky throughout the year. And it was a great conversation and just really, really fun. Probably one of the best live television things that I've ever been a part of. Wow. There's so, like you just mentioned a couple there, there's so many different fields to take into, you know, astrophysics or astrobiology or whatever it be. Have you got any mm. advice for someone that's listening and just thinking, I, you know, I'm really interested in space, but I want to keep my options open. How should they start thinking about their education? So... A great way to keep your options open is to just try everything really. So that, that was the advice that I was given in high school, my first day of high school. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I knew I was interested in science from kindergarten all the way up to where I am now. But starting year seven, starting high school, I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do. But the, the principal at the time had said to all of us on our first day, basically try everything. You know, you'll have lots of, lots of opportunities throughout life. Give them a go and uh, see where it takes you. And I'm very happy to say that these opportunities have taken me to this very podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so we like to talk about uh, potential earnings people could expect within the industry. So we go away mm -hmm. and look for a load of data and just give the average figures. Um, so for astrophysicists, it looks like it could it could go up to about um, fifty thousand pounds, which is I think about ninety thousand Australian dollars. But again, I guess you'll you'll tell us that it completely varies where you apply your skill set. Indeed. Yeah. It definitely depends on where you apply yourself and what level of academia you're into, but around 90 K sounds pretty, pretty decent for a starting or around that sort of postdoc level. So it's, there's it's a good, money it's a good salary. Yeah. It's, it's pretty good. I'm very happy with where I am. <laughs> for, um, uh, to get into this sort of industry, do you have, how high a level of education do you really need? It really depends because there's no one pathway into astronomy. You could be uh, into a PhD like myself, or you could do a master's, which is 
similar to a PhD, but you can do it through coursework or it's a little bit different, but similar qualifications uh, as far as I'm aware. But you can also volunteer at observatories because you never know where your opportunities are going to take you. If you volunteer, you might get offered a job. Who knows? So I just want to make it clear that there's not one way into astronomy. I know the way that I've gone, which is my one way, but I am not sure what other ways that you could go to, but I'm sure that there are other ways that do exist. Definitely. And I guess, how does somebody begin to um, progress in the field once they're in it? I will let you know when I find out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still very young in this whole academia world. Yeah, I guess maybe doing your science communication maybe helps a little bit as well. Oh, absolutely. Yes. So my science communication and the extracurricular stuff that I've done outside of just the coursework in my undergrad has definitely springboarded me to this particular PhD program that I'm in. So it's not all about the grades, which is, I'm going to go on another bit of a tangent here because when people look at me and see that I'm an astrophysicist, they think, oh, you must be a genius. You must have gotten really good grades in school. Um, I got just enough of an ATAR, which is your end of high school number that allows you to go into university. I got just enough of an ATAR to get into my degree that I wanted. Uh, and that didn't include honours at the end of my undergraduate. So honours is like a one year thesis for undergrad mm -hmm. students. Uh, so I had to get a good enough mark to get into that program after my undergrad, which I just scraped into as well by two marks. So it's not all about the marks you get on exams. Yeah, it's that's a very about good the point. other things that you do. It's not the be all and end all if you fail an exam, which I did do. Mm. That's, that's a really good point because I have to admit when I think of somebody who's an astrophysicist, I think, wow, they must have got immense grades at school. And to hear mm. that, you know, yes, you do need good grades, but you don't have to be the top of the top all the time. Exactly. It's and it's such a toxic point of view to have. And I know mm. that does, I mean, going through high school, I teach high school uh, physics to year 11 and year 12. So the final year and the, the one before the final year. Um, and they're also stressed about getting the top grades. Like, guys, I know it's really important right now. And that's what is drilled into you from a very young age that you must do better than everyone else because it is a competition at the end of the day, which I don't agree with. But that's how the system works and at the moment. The thing is, they're, they're all stepping stones, aren't they? I mean, you're now exactly. halfway through your PhD and I bet no one's looking back at your, your A-levels or your um, A's, whatever uh, what you, the ATAR. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, 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 no one's probably looking about those, you know, you're now a quite an accomplished um, astronomer. So it's just a stepping stone to get from one point to the next, isn't it? Exactly. And plus once you're in university, no one cares about the ATAR anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no one cares. Very true. That's the uh, one thing that I, one thing that I tell my students is look, once you get into a degree, you can then transfer. Yeah. Easy done. <laughs> and what would be um, some skills outside of uh, astronomy that you would actually suggest for people to develop that would help them in, in that, this field? Communication. Mm. Absolutely communication. And I'm, I know I sound biased in that because I am a science communicator, but it's not just for science communication. It's also communicating with your peers and communicating with your mentors and supervisors because otherwise things can get lost in communication. So having those strong communication skills will really help you along this pathway. And uh, would you still go into the industry knowing everything you know now? 
Oh, definitely. My passion is unwavered. <laughs> That's good to hear. Listen, thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you and um, you've given us some, some great insight. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, thank you again. Where can people find you on uh, social media? On all the social medias, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter. I'm Astro Kirsten. So you'll find me there. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys.